Well, morning. Uh, good to see you all this morning. What I might do is um, uh, pray, and then we'll uh, get into the Word of God this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. This is a day that you have made. We are rejoicing, and we are glad in it. We ask that you, uh, Lord, open up our hearts and our ears and our eyes to hear what the Spirit has to say this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Well, everybody's been talking about the rise in the cost of living, the shortage of food, and uh, the fuel prices. I believe they're probably hiking the way up to somewhere around about $4, maybe $5 in another month. We are seeing something that we haven't seen for a long time, and that is um, the country of New Zealand, which has been basically always having access to food. We've had a, uh, a country that has had much there at fingertips, at reach, and now we're seeing that we're coming into a place of shortage of food. That's interesting, isn't it? I don't know if you remember, but in uh, around about New Year, I was down in Rotorua, and I spoke there, and I talked about the coming food shortage. Talked a little bit about the three Fs, the shortage of food, fuel, and faith. And it's interesting that it's come along now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take something from the book of Genesis chapter 41. Now, if you can um, understand 41, Genesis 41, is when Joseph comes into the actual place of standing with Pharaoh. I want to um, read a couple of passages of scripture here before I begin this message. And I want to focus on Joseph coming into a place where he moves from the prison to the palace. But we'll read it here, and then we'll talk about some things. In chapter 41, and verse 14 and 15, Pharaoh sends and calls Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the prison. He shaved, changed his clothes, and came to Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one that can interpret it. But I've heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. That's interesting, isn't it? He brings him up because he believes Joseph told by somebody else to Pharaoh that he can interpret the dream. But look what Joseph does. He says to Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So he moves from there, I will carry on reading, and he goes over and he says the dream, he repeats the dream, and it comes twice. Seven years of great plenty will come throughout all of Egypt, but after seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten. In the land of Egypt, the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because of the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. So Joseph gives an interpretation to his dream. And over here in verse 46 it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. And then he says up here, he gathered up all the food of seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain, so there was wheat and corn. 
as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And it says down here in verse 53, And seven years of plenty, which in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says you do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians in the famine when it became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph, to Egypt, to buy grain because the famine was severe in the lands. So here we have an incredible story of how we see Joseph, that was somebody who had the ability from God to be able to interpret one dream. This particular dream of the seven years of plenty, and then there was going to be followed with seven years of famine, was the key to Joseph actually coming out of prison. But it was also the key for a whole new political change, a whole new era of God becoming involved in Egyptian politics, and it actually turned the country around so that all could have plenty. So even when the famine struck, those that listened to Joseph were the ones that survived it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this because you can't go past seeing this that when it says here, I love this part where it says Joseph, he stood with Pharaoh. He was 30 years old, it says. Joseph was 30 and suddenly he was standing next to the greatest ruler, perhaps not just in Egypt. He was standing next to the Prime Minister, Pharaoh, the, the most powerful ruler in the world of that time. Now don't forget, and I want to tell you this, because when he was standing there as a 30-year-old, Joseph actually had that dream when he was 17. So it took approximately 14 years for him to get to the place where he could make changes in a system that was basically screwing the people over. That's how I'll put it. So when he was 17, he had the dream of basically ruling, dominion. Remember the sheaves bowing down to his sheaf and the sun, the moon and the stars bowing down to him? Can you remember when you were 17? I can remember when I was 17 and I would think to have a dream like that would be near impossible. I wouldn't have been thinking about politics. I definitely wouldn't have been thinking about ruling. That's the kind of dream he had as a 17-year-old, that the world's future and its direction or its path forward was going to be decided by those who would rule over them. So as a 17-year-old, Joseph had an indelible dream from God that he was to change the future, bringing people into liberty and freedom and bringing his own nation to be able to uh, be born in that time. So let's have a look at a couple of things here. How was it that, that Joseph was a 30-year-old suddenly standing next to the most powerful ruler in Egypt? Now look at this. I want to tell you something. He was only in prison not long before that. He came out of nowhere. I want to tell you something about this. 
Today we're facing incredible challenges, and we're talking about Joseph, and we're talking about Pharaoh. We're talking about Egypt, and Pharaoh was the ruler or the prime minister of all the Egyptian world, the countries at that time. And he was standing there, and he was now giving what I would call a stranger to politics. You've got to remember, Joseph came out of nowhere. I'm going to put this into the beginning. Joseph came from nowhere to change the political uh, future of a country, right? So the next political elections in this country is going to be a, a group or a movement that's going to come from nowhere, right there. This is where Joseph came. He came from prison, in fact. That's nowhere. And he changed the future of politics. So let's look at this. I would say things are bad enough for me to make, and me to say this, I really care about the next elections. I'm, I care about who's going to win the next elections. Everybody I'm speaking to now must be politically involved. We can't any longer just sort of bounce along and say, well, we're trapped in this political quagmire of the same old, same old type of politics. I want to just address this for a moment, because this Ardern government has sustained and seriously damaged New Zealand for a long, long time. I've got a few things here I could read out to you, and, and here's what's happened. I can read this. Labour policies are responsible for 38,000 businesses closed. 38,000 businesses closed. 52,000 plus adverse reactions to the vaccine, the vaccines. 52,000 plus adverse reactions to the vaccine. This is not what they're, they're not revealing the data. Um, up to 147 deaths due to, to vaccines, 147 deaths where there's only been about 56 or 57 deaths to COVID. Numerous job losses, numerous suicides. She's divided the country into divisions of two, two classes of people. Huge long-term social effects of fear on our children for the future and the mental distress on a younger generation for years to come. The New Zealand depth to GDP rising from 18%, listen to this, to 47% in 2022, meaning we're going to be a debt-ridden, paying off a debt that this Labour government has put on its people for many years to come. That's just a little bit of what I'm telling you. It might be bad news, and it is bad news. This country's been wrecked by this government, and I want to tell you that, that we need to be able to uh, understand at this time that we've got to be interested right now in politics. Politics is what she used, this government used, to screw us all over. It's going to be politics that we're going to have to use to screw them over. <laughs> Sounds like a bit of a screwing session, but that's what's happened. It's done this to our country, done it to our people. And we have to now step back and say, all right, the only way we can fix this now is the next elections. Unless something else happens, which I don't think it's going to, um, we're going to have to look at the elections as being a place where we're going to have to take a hold of our future, of our country, and we have to make decisions that are best for the people of New Zealand. Now, 
it's interesting to me that we think that we've got to go to the same old pool of politicians. New Zealanders have to break some bad voting habits. Our political behaviour has to change. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. That's insanity. But this is what New Zealanders do. How did that party get that to that position? We the people, people in this country, we voted that, that party in. We vote this, the same politicians. It's a bit of a merry-go-round. We only think that that pool of politicians the same old names that keep propping up and you keep going back to them like a battered woman, a battered wife in a, in a bad relationship. Can't break free and we keep going back to the abusive husband. It's the same thing in politics. We keep going back to the abusive National Party or the abusive Labour Party and we do the same things. You vote them in and it's only halfway through their tenure and we're all grizzling and moaning about what they're doing to us. What do we do? We run to the other abusive partner in this. Both the green and the red no longer serve the people. The ACT Party is no, no better. They're no better as well. They're run by, run by another guy whose name keeps appearing, who are politicised. These people don't care about the people, and if they do care about the people, they make it look like they're caring about you, but they really want your vote. So they don't really care about you. Jacinda doesn't care about us. Be kind, look after each other. That's just so that she can have your support and your vote. But down deep inside, these people, Career politicians do not care for us, the people. I want you to know, every New Zealander to know, that what we have now in the political parliament, they do not care for us. They don't care for the people. They will make it look like they do. They just want our votes. We've got to finish this, this type of politics. There's no more room for the politics that we have at present in this parliament. They do none of them, National, Labour, the ACT Party, the Māori Party and the Greens. All of those people in there are complicit, they're compliant. When Labour was full out, oppressing us, taking our freedoms and our rights, National actually agreed with them and with Luxton at the head. When we see National now in the polls overtake Labour, that's not because I want him to be the next Prime Minister or National. That's because some of you people are running back to that abusive husband again, thinking that they're going to be the only uh, option that we've got. And that's what I'm talking about. We're not stuck with a, a green, a national, a blue or a red option. I say to you, there's another option, and that is the people. We the people. You've underestimated us, like David Seymour called us ordinary today. The ordinary uh, New Zealanders. I'm not an ordinary New Zealander, David Seymour. I'm an extraordinary Kiwi who's gone through a lot of damn lies, a lot of fear-mongering through this pandemic, locked down, shut down, traffic light lighted down, and I've come through this and I've still got my sanity 
still got our families and I still believe in the good of New Zealand. No, I'm not going to run to Australia, which is doing far better and everything over there is probably at the stage now very uh, looks very welcoming to go to, but I'm not. I'm going to stay here because my country is my country. And so David Seymour, I'm not an ordinary Kiwi, I'm an extraordinary Kiwi, like many others who have gone through this, have come out the other side, and we have survived. And we're not going to just survive for the next few years. There must be a time when we must thrive. So I'm calling on every, every good, extraordinary Kiwi that's come this far through all of the crap and rubbish that's been put on us by this Labour government and National, who is complicit. Who complicit. They never did anything to stop it. They actually agreed at one stage that they would have done the same and had a forced vaccine program, and, and, they, and Luxton said that. And so did uh, Seymour. He was going to force, it, force uh, vaccinations on every Kiwi. Both parties are flip-floppers. Luxton is a big flip-flopper. So is David Seymour. The Māori Party are just sitting there wondering what's happening. None of these parties, the Greens too, they are not serving the people. And I've had enough of these politicians and these polluted parties that we keep propping up and powering. Every Kiwi, you need to hear this, we can stop this. We can get our country back. You've just got to be brave and bold enough with your vote to stop going greed and red and go into the same old pool of stale <coughs> career politicians. That's what they are. Career politicians that cannot help themselves. I don't know why you go back to these same old names, same old parties, and they keep doing, screwing us over. I say enough. There is enough expertise and there's some very smart Kiwis out there who are people that are living right now in our country. There's enough of us who can pull a political people's political party. At least we can put our votes together and we can begin to now exert our power upon that parliament and that political establishment. We the people need to set the tenure. We need to set the pace. We need to let them know, we don't need you, you need us. We're tired of your politics that has damaged us, taken away from us, and wrecked our lives. We're going to get our lives back, and we're going to be in charge of our lives. We're going to set our destiny. We're going to be in charge of our tomorrow and our futures. All right, so... I hope that's, that's something that's happened here because Pharaoh represents all of that. He represents a government that right now was warned about a famine coming. He was warned about the years of plenty and the years of famine. So here's Joseph, as I said in the beginning of our, of our time. He comes and he stands as a 30-year-old, comes fresh out of prison, like Pharaoh would have been saying, who's this? Where did he come from? And that's exactly what we've got to see in New Zealand politics in the next 18 months. People, where did they come from? Where did this come from? I mean, Joseph out of prison. I guarantee you, any New Zealanders hearing me now, and 
1 chapter 41 is all you have to read in Genesis. And if you don't believe God, and after all this rubbish, you've got to be crazy because we need God. Right now we need God. So chapter 41 says this is a guy that's come out of prison. He was in there not because he was guilty. He was there because the judicial system forced him in there by listening to the wrong people. And the people got him imprisoned for something he didn't do. Now you'd imagine that someone comes from out of prison and stands with Pharaoh. And now he has the plan to change the whole political future of the most powerful country in the world at a time that was facing shortages. So he says there that Pharaoh got him out because he had heard that he could interpret dreams. And somehow God put a dream or put a, a vision in Pharaoh's head about something that really ate him up about these cows, seven lean cows and seven fat cows. But Joseph was brought to it, and when he was asked by Pharaoh, you interpret dreams, Joseph was quick to say, no, God does. I love that. He brings God into the equation. And that's exactly what I'm going to do too. I'd be doing an injustice today to just talk about what you want to hear about politics and about our shortages, fuel shortages, food shortages, they are serious, and we need to be very uh, circumspect right now about what we do next and how we treat this and see this. And when I went back through this, there was no other way that I could, I could actually give you accurately how, how we step forward to the next 18 months to get our country back, get our future back, to get our democracy back. And to get rid of all of this political garbage. He said, God. Even though Joseph knew he was going to have the ability to be able to give this man direction, Joseph knew it came from God. He made sure that the Prime Minister didn't care what Pharaoh thought about his God. In fact, Pharaoh didn't believe the Hebrews' God. But Joseph didn't matter about what he thought about it. He was going to bring it up in front of his face, whether he liked it or not. That's what our politicians need to have right now today in their face. Just like Joseph said to Pharaoh, you want to get out of this fix, this rubbish, this mess you're in? You're going to have to listen to me. Right in his face, he said, no, it's not me that's doing it. You think that my reasoning, <clears throat> by my logic, I'm giving you a prediction of what's going to happen in the future. He was saying, no, it's not down to like the modelers that Jacinda has all around her and spin doctors. Joseph says, no, I get this as a prophet. What I'm seeing is what God gives me. That's different from somebody who predicts from reason and logic. That's what our world is full of. People who use the trickery and the deceptiveness of intellectual university educated people who try and fool us by what we need, what they think we need to hear. And they start to put fear amongst the people. Whereas Joseph was bringing something that was going to bring hope. And that's the difference. I'm bringing hope today, not fear. Fear is what this government has been putting across this country. But I'm bringing hope. 
and your hope is coming from Christ. Christ was in Joseph. Joseph was kind of like a Christ, a Christophany, uh, an appearance in a human body before the actual incarnation or when he was born through the woman Mary. So Joseph was like a walking Christ in a way. But what I'm saying to you is when, when we hear this, we think, well, I don't want the God stuff. Well, our country has got to start seeing that we need to get God back into our, our politics. We need to get some values back in our, politi our politics. We need to get some, some type of principles. We need politicians. We don't want career politicians. We need politicians now who've got moral character, who don't lie, who tell the truth. I just want somebody in there who's going to be truthful, who cares for the people, and does little more than that. We don't want government intrusion in our lives. We don't want governments telling us where to go and how to spend our money and, and what we can buy and can't buy and, and all of this sort of control. We've had a taste of this. Now, that's the famine. That's the famine that I will tell you about. And it takes this because sometimes we don't really hear we don't see what's going on, and we would allow it to continue on and on and on and on. If we didn't have the COVID-19 pandemic breakthrough, and I know it sounds a little bit nasty, but um, at least we can look after each other and care for each other, but we've got we've to see this, that the shortage of food and fuel and the price hikes, it shakes us all down. It makes us sit back and say, well, you know, heck, what's, what's life really about? What, what matters and what, what are the things that matter in life? You know, what matters is family. What matters is doing right. What matters are things like this governments or the governments that we have that have been self-serving, who don't care about us, right? And, and that we have now a... Uh, we've been shaken down to a place where we had to be so we could see, so we could make decisions. You know, Kiwis, you've got you to hear this. We've allowed these people to have this corruption in Parliament because you let them. That's the only way they've been empowered. We 50% of the vote went to, to Jacinda Ardern. That's a lot of votes. That gave her the power that she needed. And I'm going to say some things that you probably won't like to hear, but they're facts. They're facts. So when we talk about this, we're talking about a country that I think the worst thing we'd done was that we decided to push God aside. We took God out of our, out of our lives. We took God out of our parliament you know that, that guy Mallard, and he's been particularly uh, framed and put out there in front so that you knew this is the guy that actually took Christ out of prayer. He took him out of parliamentary prayer. And now you might say, what's that got to do with everything? It's got a lot to do with everything. You start playing with God, you're playing with fire. And we're paying the price for not doing anything, allowing these people to be put in there. And it does say to me that this is reflective of some of the general population of the people I'm talking to now. For whatever reason that you decided that you didn't mind politicians running our country who have had no values, no morals, well, you, you gave them that power. 
So Christ, God is the most important factor in keeping everything together that's honest, that's good, and that God would protect us and look after us. So it's not just about a religion, it's about protection. It's about prosperity. Are you hearing me? You've got a reaction to religion, so have I, because I'm not a religious person. But I do believe in a living person who looks after us, protects us, provides for us. Christ gives us a life that he guarantees that we would do well. So it was him that was working through a stranger that came into the government's world and said, you ought to change the way you're governing your people. You see, you, you are making yourself look like you care for the people, but Joseph actually cared for the people. There's a big difference. So when you move God out of things, you move Christ out of the life of a, of a country, of a people, then you open yourselves up to what we've got today. Really what we've got today is because we no longer wanted to serve Christ. We didn't want him with our families. We denied him to our children. We denied our futures by taking away Jesus from it. See, when you look at Parliament, they began to strip away everything that we had been living on in the past that was of good values. The good old New Zealand, the New Zealand that was free. We could travel anywhere, we could do anything, we could go anywhere, we could buy anything. You could do anything in your life, you could live the greatest life. It's almost hard to believe that we had a life like that. But that was given to us by the, the Christian values that underpins all of Western civilization. All of the, the Westminster um, Constitution, the Westminster Constitution underpins all of Western society or Western civilization governments. The Westminster uh, Constitution is Christianity, is Christ. It's, it's based on the values of God. That's what it is. That's what's given us the freedom. A lot of people don't realize that. You can be an unbeliever. You can be hissing and carrying on at me and hating me right now. But that's what gave us the freedom. Because only through those Christian values can you get a society that's going to live in a civil manner. But not only that, you had plenty. Did you notice that when we're living where we actually cared about each other, we cared about God, we actually all went to church on a Sunday and we had Monday to Saturday of freedom to work because God was looking after us, providing for us. That's true. But the further we went away from him, the worse things got. And it's proven by today where we are. We're facing food shortages. We're facing fuel hikes. I, I'm going to say this in the best way possible, but that's, that's to shake us all down. Shake us down. Don't get mad. We care for you, and I believe that the food shortage won't last. It won't. This chapter 41 says it doesn't, because something's coming to change our, our whole political future. But right now, it's making you think so that you can begin to be active. Active and not allowing these people to continue to rob our country, rob our future, and rob our freedoms. You have to stand up. You have to be a part of this. 
You have to say, no, we're not going to be going running to the red or to the blue party or to this party or that party. We need to get together. We need to be able to form a, a movement of people who actually care about our political future. It's not a political party I'm talking about. It's actually politically neutral. But where we can put our votes together powerfully in numbers. It's like lease your vote till you want to use it on the voting in 18 months' time. But we put it together in the people's movement. And we're going to begin to have leverage by saying to these parties and these politicians, you're not just going to think as a career politician and as one of those corrupted parties that you're going to keep yourself in there wielding your dishonesty, your flip-flopping and not caring about us that you're going to just think you can go in there and do it again in 2023? No. Because something that's 30 years old who's been waiting for 14 years, Joseph, as his name, stood up from nowhere he came and he said to Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. And he, he eventually led his country into prosperity, not into shortage, but into plenty, because he gave honor to God. He had a strategy from God, and God had the plan. He gave it to the man. Yes, so you can see the man with the plan. But God gave him the plan, right? So if you don't want God yet, and you're still crazy and silly about that, but the man has the plan, at least accept that. Because in a way you're accepting God's benevolence. Now, it's interesting to think about this and see that Joseph did something interesting. I'm going to read this to you. Can I read this to you? Well, here, verse 40, verse 41. It says, now we'll go back here. Okay, I'm a little bit. Oh, okay, it's over here. The one fifth one, I am just still finding it. Okay, it was a part here, seven years of the famine, it may not be, I'm just looking for the part where I just talked about the fifth, the one fifth, um, probably Jenny will ring today to give me this scripture, but here's what happens, Joseph said to Pharaoh at that time to the government, he said to them, because it was customary, okay, listen very carefully to me, it was customary for the all of Egypt, the Egyptian businesses and farmers and all that that were producing to pay a tenth of, of a part of their, it's interesting isn't it, a tenth to Pharaoh, to the government. So even the Egyptians acknowledge the tenth principle. So Joseph comes along and he says to them, here's what I want you to do. He took it to a fifth of all that they had. So really he said a tenth of what you are taking or giving to Pharaoh, uh, now you put another tenth on that, which will be the tenth of all that you make. So all your grain and your corn, a tenth of that will be brought in 
and we will store it into the big storehouses so we have enough in a time of famine. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So this is interesting. So it was a one-fifth. He was using the principle of the tenth. And that, that whole thing was happening on the basis that Joseph was bringing a very important factor in. He was saying to him, you've got to understand that my great-grandfather was Abraham. Right? So his great-grandfather great was Abraham. Abraham was the man who had grown very wealthy and very rich. And he got to the point where he had so much that he couldn't even hold his wealth. And he had to get his, his nephew to split from him because he had so much. So he was doing that. And while he was doing that, he actually came across a man called Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Most High God. And you'll know this. So this is, this is something very incredible. When Abraham, who was the chosen, the greatest man on the planet Earth, walking because God had chosen him and said, Abraham, through you, all the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Can you hear this? All the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. So if you're a, a, a descendant of Abraham, by faith, when you understand that um, you are on the faith of Abraham. So I've just got some people talking to me on the side here. Well, the faith of Abraham. But what Abraham does here really now puts you economically, just, just think this, e economics. Because the economy of this country is going to be the biggest thing leading into the next election. So Here's what happens. He meets Melchizedek, and you know this. What Abraham does is gets, gets a 10% tithe of all that he has. 10% tithe of what he has, and he now gives this up to Melchizedek. He tithes. In that tithing, a blessing comes down that opens all the windows of heaven, meaning that God would keep the land, he would look after him, and even in tough times, he would be brought through it successfully. So tithers would win when others wouldn't. You got that? Tithers would win in tough times when others wouldn't. So you can still be a Christian but not tithing, but you can't win in tough times. You're going to need help. Somehow tithers don't come under the rule, they're outside of it, they're exempt from the petrol prices, they're exempt from the food shortages, you know, they're exempt from whatever comes. Somehow they have food in their cupboard, somehow they can get the petrol. The petrol crisis is easily overcome. All the government needs to do is stop taking 53% tax and lower it down to about 30%. That would help that, that would bring alleviation. But I'm talking about something deeper and bigger. What if you understood this, that if I was a tither, that that's not going to apparently hurt me in my pocket? I'm, if I'm a tither, you're saying that I'm going to have food? Yes, I am. I'm saying that you are tithing in the middle of this. See, even Abraham knew that he had all of that wealth. He had to rely on something else over and above his own ability. All right, you got that? His own ability wasn't enough. He had to give a 10% tithe to ensure that God would keep heaven open 
and in, and in certain seasons of time, he would be looked after. Joseph is the great-grandson. Father was Jacob. Jacob's father was Isaac. And Isaac's daddy was Abraham. So Joseph is standing in that position as a great-grandson of Abraham. The first thing he does is he institutes, and it's in Genesis 41-34, 41.34, and it says, Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land. All right? And it says, To collect one-fifth of the produce of the land. So he says, One-fifth of the produce of the land. And that's what I'm talking about. So he's already, he's talking in numerics of 10%. So one-fifth is 20, be 20%. But he's saying, The 10%, you're doing right by tithing. So if the Egyptians are tithing and they don't believe in God who instituted the tithe, how much more should Christians be tithing? You know, I want to tell any of you that know better, stop tithing during this time, the pandemic. Shame on you because that's not working good for you. And you're going to find yourself wanting, you're going to find yourself in the same box as everybody else, but tithers will win through this. So you need to get back to tithing. So he says, you tithe that, and you stay in your tithing to Pharaoh, well, I want you now to tithe a portion of your, of your profit of what you're making of the wheat and the corn. So he was talking mainly to the farmers, who were the backbone of the Egyptian in most countries, the farming community, which was land that was actually farmed not just for one farmer, they farmed all of their lands for the well-being of all the people. Did you hear that? For the well-being of everyone. I'm going to say something here when you're talking about farmers. So when you're talking about corn and the wheat that they all brought together or the produce of whatever it was, whether it's milk or meat um, and wool and corn and wheat and what we're talking about, because they, they were, this is what Joseph stored aside 10% in the times of plenty. So in plenty, we should be having a storage of 10% of what we make to make sure that in lean times, you're never going to have a problems with shortage. Therefore, there's no inflation. There's not going to be the, the hard times and the ups and downs and the difficulty that comes with governments who don't trust the principle of what I'm talking about here. So let's take, for instance, the farmers of New Zealand. They're doing well. well let's talk about groundswell because they were farmers who came out together and protested. Bryce McKenzie is the leader of the uh, groundswell movement. Now, the farmers in our country, they came out and they had a particular um, issue with the government. And this is what they did. They, they, they did not uh, see that their issue um, needed to be uh, mixed with what was happening in the protests in the cities and the towns of most people. They wanted their issue, which was their issue, to farming. They didn't want their issue to be... Um, kind of overtaken by the issues that were coming from us, which was freedom and rights, you know. Our freedoms and our rights were too important. But they didn't want to mix it with that. They wanted to have their own issue. They wanted to have a, a time with the government where they can just get the change for them and for them only. I felt that that was selfish, very selfish of the groundswell 
In fact, they said they didn't. They really didn't. Uh, they looked down upon Wellington. Uh, at first, when it was in the first parts of it in the week there that was rising, they looked at it. But um, at the end of the day, they separated themselves from it and from most of these they have. Now, I'm not talking about all of the farmers in Groundswell, of course, and I don't know, but I only can go from what I understand from the leader, who did not want to have anything to do with the same uh, hurts and problems that were happening in the urban areas and the cities with people who are facing these um, very difficult times right now. So Groundswell decided this is what's happening and why our nation needs to stop the greed that's overtaken it. They decided in the last election that they did not want the Greens in government because the Greens would affect their farming in some ways. So they wanted the Greens out of government. And when they saw that National was not going to make the cut, that Labour was going to win, a whole swath or a group of the groundswell farmers in the South Island, West Coast mainly, and probably other places, decided that they'd take their vote for them to keep the Greens out and Winston Peters out of the way so that they can have more comfortable farming practices for themselves. I can understand this, but I don't understand it. They put their vote to Labour. They voted Labour, big blocks of them. Now, Labour would not have got sole power. They would have had to govern either with, with the, uh, one of the Greens or somebody else. And at least there could have been some type of you know, drag on them actually doing what they were doing. I don't know, but you need to know this. So when Groundswell voted, a lot of the farmers voted for Labour, uh, they actually empowered Labour, they didn't know this, to actually be the beast that they are today. By taking out, they got their way by taking out the Greens, but they unleashed the monster that we have been experiencing for the last two years. Now, I'm not saying that to put them down. That's the facts. It's not for you to disagree or agree with me. That's not the point. That's what happened and the voting things. Have a look yourself. So when they made that decision, they were doing it for selfish reasons. That's what I'm saying. I think it's time now that the, f the town and country join together, that the farming community and that the city workers, we're together in this. You can't work separately like that, and you tried that, and that's what happened. You empowered labour to be having sole, unbridled, power to control us and that's what's happened now I'm saying that's what that's what happened, that's got to stop and this is what Joseph did he pulled them together and he said no you, you don't go and do your own thing and that you think that some of the country can just get on with their life and you do your thing and we're doing ours so that's why Jacinda Ardern just recently after turning them down twice called for a meeting with Groundswell. So I'm answering the question, everybody's asking, oh, why is she meeting them all of a sudden and didn't want to before? Because after the polls showed that she was behind, she knows that Groundswell kept together the farmers, so uh, she knows that some of them voted for her in, that block voted her in last time. So she's going down there, to, she's going to talk to them and that's what it's all about. She wants to try and get their vote to keep her in power. I just hope Groundswell doesn't shake hands with the devil.
That's all. Now, I brought that up to say all of this is going on in our country. Our country's in a mess. This nation has now got to pull itself together, get out of the greed, get out of the corruption, throwing God aside, and now allowing the selfishness that we've really put into this country because the way that we've acted, we now need to change change the whole way that we're doing this and I like what Joseph did when he came to this part of it he went out and he got everything right and the storehouses were full and he said that 10% of all of this will be taken aside and put there and he said the 10% of that's going there 10% tithe would be pretty good we've got trouble with taxes everywhere G G GST, where they take a tax rake out of that. There's taxes coming on petrol. There's taxes coming on our food. Why are we taxing food? There should be no taxes on food. The GST thing needs to be visited. Why are governments taxing the hell out of our people who are trying to live and work, and yet they use it to actually oppress us? That's just crazy. But Joseph said, no, we don't do that. Governments help the people. They, they make sure that people can live well by taking less from them. All Joseph took was 10% or one-fifth of the whole that gave the government ability to run it and to look after all of the services and needs of a country. And also the 10% he gave there was enabling them to be able to have the main things of life to live, to be able to live, you get me? To live life without being threatened by shortages. Anyway, I think I've come to a part where I've just given you enough to think about today. That's amazing. Read it yourself in 41. Genesis 41 really gives us a great insight. I want to just stop for this last little thing here. Um <clears throat> Most of you know that I've been, um, I have all my life, my ministry life, had this sense that when God said, you know, he created us in his image and his likeness, and he said, you know, go forth, multiply, and, and um, have dominion. That, that word dominion, it means to rule, to govern. You can't help it that your kingdom nature sees that if something's not going well for the people, especially when it comes to ruling, that you have to do something about it. But I've never been in a time in my life when I've seen a government that has so damaged its people that we all have to now be participating in something that's going to politically free us. Now, I... I think it's going to be totally like what Joseph comes out of nowhere. I think this is going to be the, the same thing that's going to happen with what we're doing now. I have no political ambition. I don't want to be doing that. I'm happy where I am. That's my call. But I am concerned about who wins the next election. This election of any other election in 2023 is the most important in New Zealand's history. 
So when we set up this, this people movement, I'm serious about this, and every listener and every viewer that sees this, I want you to get onto the, your, your, your cell phone and text 5477. That is, that's in the Freedom and Rights Coalition, 5477, to join the People's Freedom, political freedom movement, the People's Freedom Movement. This is a political neutral movement that's going to collate or collectively have our votes together. doesn't mean to say we take away your vote. It's just like leasing it, just till now and then. So we can be on your behalf, we can be advocating uh, politically for every Kiwi family, making sure that whatever politician or party has an intention of ruling over us, we're going to put through some things to, to put them through the grill. We're never going to have this happen again. Never are we going to be treated like this again. Never, never, never. One of the first things we're going to do is get our Bill of Rights, the New Zealand Bill of Rights, and we're going to enshrine that in law so that that becomes supreme law status. Do you hear what I said? Supreme law status, the Bill of Rights, the New Zealand Bill of Rights. So that'll protect us if any despot governments or politicians decide to try and do that same thing this New Zealand Bill of Rights will make sure, and will make sure that the judicial system and those judges start to see that our Bill of Rights should never, ever be overridden by any other type of legislation or law that governments try to make up. Right now, did you know that Parliament has a Sovereignty Act in it? They pushed aside our New Zealand Bill of Rights to make them sovereign in Parliament, that they are gods. That's what they've done. They've made themselves rulers and gods. So that's what I'm talking about, one of the first things that we do. So get that text number again, 5477. I want every person, because there's a lot more and I can't put in detail here now, but we are going to be very serious about determining our own destiny. Your future and my future is too important to go through this again with career politicians and polluted political parties. You got me? So if you can do that, that's a great thing you can do today. Thank you very much for uh, being with me and hearing and listening to the message today. I hope you were blessed by it. Father, I pray today that every person that heard this message, they would be activated now to do something politically. It was politics that got us into this mess. But it will be politics that will get us out of it again. I pray in Jesus' name that people will be moved just like Joseph came into a system and a, and a situation that you wouldn't have thought that would have actually allowed his, his methodology and his type of politics. But it did. It worked. And I believe that New Zealand needs this very same thing. And it is here now. So I ask the Lord in Jesus' name that you just get this blessing upon the people who hear it and that you would do everything that you promised you would, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you very much and God bless you.